G'day, I'm Ollie Laleve and welcome to GRDC In Conversation. This series takes you behind the scenes as we sit down with some of the people shaping our grain industry, uncovering their journeys, learning more about their passions and the projects that are part of their everyday. We're covering Southern Australia's grain growing regions, chatting with researchers, advisors, growers, advocates and just about everyone in between. My next guest is one half of a formidable partnership that we're featuring as part of this podcast series. Jeanette Long has her own story, and she's having an incredible impact, not just for women in agriculture, but for agriculture more broadly. When Jeanette started farming, women weren't allowed to call themselves farmers. It wasn't until 1992 that women could put down their occupation as farmer. It's never stopped Jeanette, and what she's achieved over her 30 plus years in agriculture is just remarkable. There's no stopping her, and there's still plenty more to go. In this chat, we get an insight into some of the areas that have helped Jeanette's clients, and also her own business. She talks about her role as a facilitator, trainer, coach, business partner, and farmer. Jeanette gives us a bit of an insight into formal decision-making processes, and just how important they are in business. About shifting the language from succession to transitioning. She talks about and uses some examples from her work across grains, dairy, fisheries, sugarcane, and various other industries. It's very obvious that her passion is people. She loves and is a good communicator, and she wants to see communication front and centre in helping others succeed. Jeanette recognises the importance of continually learning, of developing leaders, and championing women and others in agriculture. Firstly, I guess, are you able just to let us know, let the listeners know, um, whereabouts you're joining us from? So... um... I am on our farm, which is just south of a little place called Undalia in the Clare Valley. And what have you guys got there? Um, so we have some sheep and this year we have beans in the ground here. So we also have farms on Air Peninsula where our um, son Will is. Um, but yeah, we're on the, the long family farm in the Clare Valley today. And how, how's everything looking for you guys? We're recording early October, so still a little bit to go, but how are things? It's yeah, looking good. It's very wet um, over on Air Peninsula on the Cummins Farm, so it could stop raining now if it likes Ollie, which is unusual for us to be saying that, but um, yes, it's wet enough right now. Mm. It is just extraordinary, isn't it, what's happening at the moment? So hopefully by the time this comes to air that people are getting those crops off. <laughs> Yes, I hope so. I hope we are. I hope we're not battling the weather still. Mm. Mm, we, we shall see. Now, Jeanette, I guess looking at your resume, you have just the most incredible mix of professional experience, roles in committees, um, professional memberships, boards, everything. You've got, you've got lots of bases covered. So where are you at at the moment? What are you up to? Okay. So at the moment, Ollie, when people ask me what I do, it's always hard to describe what I do. But I say I'm a facilitator, a trainer and a coach and that there are probably three areas that I focus on. So the one of them is around leadership development in rural and regional Australia. And I have a particular focus on working with rural women. So I do, for example, for the last 10 years, I've been co-facilitating the PERSA Stepping Into Leadership Program, which is South Australia's Rural Women's Leadership Program. I'm very fortunate at the moment to be working with the Clare Valley Grape and Wine Association, um, running emerging leaders for what they're calling the next crop. 
So I'm getting to know all of the young winemakers around the district and some of the wine marketers and um, people in the hospitality industry. So that's been, been a lot of fun. And I really, you know, I love seeing the growth in, in people. I'm also running an online leadership program, which is Australia wide for the Australasian Pacific Extension Network. So that's extension professionals, people working in extension across Australia. So that's sort of one area of work I do. The second one is around building the capacity of people who work with farmers. So I do a lot of training with extension professionals, agronomists, livestock advisors right across Australia, doing a lot of how to facilitate and how do we engage farmers in um, practice change. So how do we, you know, how do we build their confidence, their knowledge, their skills and influence attitudes to adopt new technology? Now, some of the examples I'm doing there is working with the Northern Beef Guys, which is a Queensland Department of Ag project called NB2, funded by MLA. So if you like, I'm the facilitator of the facilitators and running a peer-to-peer -peer group with the facilitators of their groups. I'm also doing facilitation and engagement training with Fisheries Research Australia, Sugar Research Australia and Dairy Australia and the National Grow Group Alliance. And last week I was up in Darwin working with the Northern Drought Hub doing similar work. That keeps me off the streets. And the third part of my role is I have done quite a lot of succession planning with farm families over the years. I no longer call it that. I like to call it transition. And I probably focus on how can I inspire farm families to do transition well I'm not working with a lot of families anymore. I do work with a few and have been for many years with some, but it's a bit, yeah, it's more about how can I inspire people to do it well? Because it's such an area that is done badly. And I think it's a bit of a sleeping giant in Australian agriculture that we need to address. Um, and as well as that, of course, I'm, yeah, do a little bit of farming with Bill and William. Incredible. Well, <laughs> no wonder it takes a bit to, to tell people what you're up to. You most basis covered but i think if you're to categorize it you'd say it's around people communication and i guess learning and development has there been something that shaped you to be passionate about those areas well i guess i grew up on a family farm and with two sisters and dad always encouraged i was the one that was interested in farming so dad always encouraged me to, to be out there helping because he liked you know having the helper was quite useful, I guess. And and I much preferred being outside than being inside. So I, I studied ag and I and then went off and did teaching and decided teaching kids wasn't really for me at all. But it wasn't till I sort of got into the workforce that I realized how tough it was for women in agriculture back then. And I guess to put it in context, Ollie, when I graduated from Roseworthy Ag College was back in 1986, and in the year I was in, there were two girls, there were five girls in my year and two of us actually graduated that year. But women weren't allowed to call themselves farmers in the Australian Bureau of Statistics, you know, in the, in the, in the census until 1992. And women weren't allowed in agri to study agriculture at Roseworthy till 1977. It was, there was lots of unconscious bias out there 
even as an ag science teacher, it wasn't that easy to get a job. And after growing up on a farm where, you know, dad thought I could do anything and I was driving tractors probably from the age of 12 and, you know, helping dad with whatever needed to be done on the farm, I didn't actually realise that there was all this bias out there in agriculture about women until I hit the workforce probably. Didn't even really come across it when I was studying at Roseworthy. And so I think as a result of that, I became quite passionate about supporting women in agriculture and, I, and because of my education background and working for a short time as a rural journalist and in marketing for a little while for an ag reseller, I sort of, I guess those skills have sort of been pulled together over time. And, I, and I'm passionate about engagement and facilitation in agriculture because I think we typically do it very badly. I think we do a lot of lining farmers up in rows and talking at them and then wondering why they don't go home and do anything when it's actually about building their capacity and their skills to change. So I guess my education background sort of pops in there and makes me passionate about that one. And then transition because Bill and I have been through it on two family farms, as he probably spoke about, one that went well and one that didn't. It takes a lot of emotional energy and stress when it's not done well. So, I'd love, you know, and my facilitation background uh, and working with families has sort of made me um, a bit passionate about trying to do that well too. So, yes, I can be, you know, I've got to be cautious I don't spread myself too thin, I think. <laughs> well, there's, I think there's a million and one ways that we can take this chat, but then, I think when we've got passion like you on the other end of it, it's going to be fascinating wherever we end up. But the first question I've got is going, growing up, as you said, you weren't deterred away from agriculture. It was just that you were part of the crew alongside your old man and, and just getting things done the same when you're at university. But when you stepped out into the industry, why was it that you weren't deterred when females couldn't call themselves farmers that there was only two people in the class that could act, that actually were eligible to graduate. But stepping into that environment, why did you stick around? I guess because it, it was in my blood, Ollie. I'd grown up on a farm. I'd spent so much time in agriculture. Perhaps what it did was made me more determined. The more barriers that got put up, the more determined I was to keep ploughing through. And also, Bill has always been really supportive of my career and, and has, you know, in lots of ways has been a mentor for me as well around how to deal with some of those issues when I come come up against them. Yeah, I didn't ever consider ever disappearing out of agriculture. It's just something that's I've continued to push through on, I suppose. I should have asked Bill, but I'll ask you. So when you two both met at Roseworthy, so was it love at first sight were you guys inseparable from the beginning? That's that's probably a funny story, Ollie. Um, <laughs> um no we weren't it we we, we, I probably, I'll, I'll be honest, I chased him for a couple of years before I could catch him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it was, it was, um, we got together in about third year at, um, at Roseworthy and we've, we've worked together probably, you know, ever since really, we had our own separate careers, I guess, for a while when we first got married, but then we worked in an ag reseller together. And we've done bits and pieces differently, but you know we've been farming together since 1995. So and been in ag, working in ag consulting co together for much of that time as well. So, yeah, long long time. It is a very long time, and I think that one thing that I I chatted a little bit with Bill about it, but I'm keen to chat to you more about it in terms of creating a successful partnership in the business, but also life. Like, how have you guys balanced that? <laughs> Depends who you ask, like. 
<laughs> you can say whatever you want. Bill's had his chance now. So, uh, <laughs> I think, well, because we've both had similar interests and run, we've just run the farm together. There's probably been times when I would have liked there to be more boundaries in life than we've had, but we we share a lot of interests outside of that as well. So we both, both love the beach. We both, he, he loves fishing a lot more than I do, but I love being at the, at the beach. You know, we've spent lots of hours walking the beach, talking about and strategizing as to where we're going to go and what we're going to do with the business. If you asked our children, sometimes they'd say, well, all mum and dad do is talk about work. <laughs> and do you think that is because work has really been like a passion of yours as well? Yes, absolutely. And because it's a, a joint interest, I guess, that we've, um, you know, we're both pretty passionate about about extension and engagement and doing that well and and we've been farming together and and the whole transition piece now that we've got wills home farming with us as well it, you know we're putting into practice our trying doing our best to put into practice all the things that i've worked with and we both have worked with families to do so observing what's worked and what hasn't worked and thinking well how can we integrate it into you know doing it ourselves and it's you know it's not that easy to to do at times because you know family members always can get uppity and angry with each other at times it's about how you, what you do afterwards that's important when you guys were going through your succession transition uh i'll make sure i use the right words when so you're saying one side did it well one side didn't do it as well but were you guys doing the consulting at the same time so helping other people with their transitions as well Yes, yes. So Bill worked as an agronomist with about 40 farmers for a long time. So he was more technically focused, I guess. But as part of that, when you are, you do become that, that sort of key trusted advisor in families, you end up talking about lots of things, not just um, agronomy. And of course, now he chairs farm boards. So part of dealing with farm boards is transition. I did training with Lynn Sykes way back in the about 2000 and two or three or something. And Lynn Sykes was one of Australia's leading succession planning facilitators for many years. Um, and so sort of got into it gradually over time from there. Even though you were still working with businesses and helping them through their transitions, why was it that one of yours was done well and the other one not so well? Just the complications of many family members, really. And, yeah. um, you know, from in my family, it was a lot more straightforward because neither of my sisters really wanted anything to do with the farm. And Bill and I went home farming on my family farm initially. In the long family, you know, it's a lot more. It was a lot more complicated, so um, it just it was quite challenging to sort through. I suppose for everyone in the family, it's been quite stressful. It ended, and it, you know, it ended in the end when Bill's father passed away. So, and I guess that's one of the things that I've quite passionate about now is how we do it, you know, recognizing that it takes time. So when Will came home, you know, in 2015 and Bill's father passed away in 2016, we'd been going through transition the whole time. And then we've now got our son home. And so it never stops, which is why I think succession, people think of succession as an event, you know, I'm out, you're in. Whereas it's not like that, it goes on and on. And I see it as our responsibility as the business owners to build Will's capacity to be the next business owner and to be successful in that role. Because most of us, when we're farming, 
you know, I often talk about we're, we're, far, we're playing an infinite game. We're actually one of the purposes of a lot of family farms is to be intergenerational, whether they realise it or not. Yes, they say their purpose is to grow crops or livestock, but really the underlying purpose is that ongoing generational um, theme. And if it's not, that's fine. And then I say, we'll make an active decision that you're playing a finite game and plan your exit and do it well. But for many of the families I work with, they're playing an infinite game. So I see it as our responsibility as the current you know, owners of the business to make it, if it's going to be intergenerational, we've got to make William successful. So I think Bill told you the story how we did you know, the handover and we, William is now the operations manager. But if you like, you know, Bill's still the chair of the farm board and still the business manager. So over time, you know, we, we need to hand over to Will to be the business manager. And Bill and I need to step back into that coaching mentoring role. You know, and my parents who, you know, still head off in their caravan in their 80s, come, you know, they'll appear at harvest time from time to time and still run food and pick up parts and escort machinery. So they can still be a valuable part of the team without feeling like we've put them out to pasture and we don't want them there anymore. So, you know, it's how do we... For me, it's how do we embrace all those stages in a farming business and recognise that they're all valuable and they're all important rather than going, well, you're out now and I'm in. So, um, but it takes great communication and really good, you know, to me, having farm boards and formal decision-making processes makes it so much easier. When it's just run in a haphazard way, like a lot of families do, well, they might think it's haphazard, but there's no structure in the decision-making. That's when we run into lots of strife about, you know, who's doing what and who's what, what role and when do we hand over and how does the handover look? I think it's a really interesting piece because I was recently involved in, still am involved in a leadership program. And one of our huge faults as a small group at one stage was that, we went on for quite a considerable amount of time and we actually had no, we hadn't agreed as a group in terms of our decision-making process. And so it was actually from a outside observer's point of view, it was really obvious to them to see the actual chaos that that was creating. But for us in the group, we actually were just kind of all over the shop. We, we were in the thick of it on the dance floor, not realizing what was happening. As soon as that person from outside said, guys, you actually have no idea how you're making decisions. Like you, you haven't, whether it's that you're just agreeing that, okay, it's majority rules, then that's, that's your decision-making process, but actually then bring it in. And so it was incredible, although it was, I guess, I'll say simulated, it was a protected environment. But once someone was able to point it out to us that we actually didn't have any decision-making process and maybe something as simple as majority rules and we, and we go with it, once we started to make that a little bit of a habit, all of a sudden everything that we were doing became so much easier. Yes. And it's a bit like the conversations I have too in the leadership training, because you might be on that community board and yes, it's got a constitution or committee or incorporated body. It's got a constitution, but that doesn't tell you how you behave. That doesn't tell you how you work together effectively to get the outcomes and how you, you know, how you do make the decisions. So yes, it's not just families. It's a lot of those community organizations could really do with that support and help as well. Within using your own family, I guess, as a case study, you guys imp implemented these kind of, I'll say more formalized roles. So it was like you're saying there about a Will being the business operator, Bill being the business manager, chair, chairperson as such. Was that something that you guys 
learned from outside and decided to bring in? And what was that process like to introduce it into your business? So Ollie, several years ago, I was actually part of a GRDC project, or Bill and I both were, called Grain and Graze. And one of the thing outputs of that was around looking at farm decision-making. So there was a book that GRDC printed that Cam Nicholson pulled together and was um, a key part of, which is farm decision-making. With that, I went off and did a company, a Family Business Australia Company Directors course. So I'd done the, the Australian Institute of Company Directors course, but this was targeting at how good family corporates work. And this is like, it's quite some time ago now, but I came back from doing that course and, and we'd been running a bit of a, we had been running a farm board with a chair, but really it was just at that stage, it was probably Bill and I and working through some issues. And from there, we sort of sat down and thought, well, how can we do this better? So with doing this course, they bring in some of those big family corporates that talk about how they operate and having a, having a more formal board with external people and, you know, even having family how do we work together as a family and defining the rules and having very clear roles and responsibilities and that transition process. So that was probably the point where I said, let's do this better. Let's start thinking about how we do this better. And so I work with a, a large family in Victoria and have been working with them for quite a number of years and help them set up a family constitution and now I go over and run what they call their family council meeting once a year, where they bring in all the family members that are associated with that business and some that aren't, but will be in the future so that everyone understands how the year's gone and how the finances are. And it's completely transparent. So after seeing that family work through the process, it becomes, you know, it's something that it's easier to pick up and say, right, well, here's some ways we can do this. So yes, I've been fortunate that I've had other families to practice on, I guess, Ollie, and then think about, you know, how do we apply this internally? However, I, I don't facilitate it. You know, I, I get a chair who's also done facilitation training and training with Family Business Australia, and, and he will run it. You know, I might say to him, you know, I think this is something we really need to do. Um, and my, I might even come up with some of the process because I'm a bit of a process queen, but I'll get him to lead it because as somebody, you know, as a member of the business, it's easy for me to put my mum hat on or my wife hat on and not be sitting at the table as a business owner. So having someone external that, you know, has permission to pull me up and go, no, Jeanette, <laughs> get back on track where you're supposed to be um, is really useful. And he will ask questions of us as a family that we know should be asked, but we don't ask ourselves, you know, there's always things that elephants in the room that need to be talked about, Ollie. And so that comes back to, I guess, communication. Is that, is that the a thing that you guys work on quite deliberately as a family business? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's a conversation I have with a lot of family teams to say, well, what does good communication look like? Because people will say, oh, it means we listen to each other. Well, what does listening mean? How do you know if people are listening to you? So having those, and you know, little tips like we use WhatsApp on the farm and I'm always at the boys 
on the farm to say close the loop you know it can be a thumbs up but we know then you know people have read your text or read your comment and you know that they've taken it on board so make sure we're closing the loop on communication is one simple thing that is really important and thinking about the language that we use when we write the text you know because that can be misread so many times one of the things we did recently is um, got an external facilitator that I work with often on in leadership training called Darren Williams, who's from McLaren Vale. And Darren came over and ran a session with the farm team about how to build high performing teams and what do we need to put in place as a farm team to make sure that we are communicating well and working well as a group. So, you know, little things like making sure we're connecting socially. So, you know, we used to try and have a Christmas get together and we've given up because Christmas is too hard. We're still harvesting. You know, everyone wants to go after their own family. So things like making sure that twice a year we have a staff and bring partners and all get together, whether we go to the pub for tea or have a barbecue on the farm, but before seeding and before harvest, when we actually still want to be together because we haven't been together 24 seven and together of each other, you know, and to get everyone a bit G'd up for right, we're in for the busy season. So, if, you know, just little things like putting a few of things in place like that. When you've worked across various other industries, as you mentioned, dairy, fisheries, I think you said, was it sugar cane at the beginning? Yeah. You've, you've covered a few different bases. Is this an, is it an agriculture issue or are we seeing it kind of in done, I'm going to say better, is the positive connotation, done better in some areas than others? No, I think it's industry-wide, Holly. I think everywhere in agriculture, doing transition is better is something that needs to be done. And it's probably one that, you know, I guess the RDCs see it as a generic thing. It's a people thing. So a lot, like dairy actually do quite a lot of work in this space, but a lot of the RDCs don't. It's just something that, you know, it's a communication generic thing. So no one necessarily picks it up and says, well, we should do something with this from an industry perspective. So it's something that, yeah, we could do with someone saying, hey, we could focus on this. And so if, if people are listening and they're like, gosh, I know that we need to get started on it. Like, but where, where do people actually get started? Where do they literally go? And, and I asked this question because I was at a conference earlier uh, this year and someone spoke up and talked about succession and said start the conversation and then someone in the audience said oh like it was a young person said well actually where do I go to get started and they said oh talk to an accountant or something and this person was like well I'm not the decision maker in our business so where do I actually go to just find out how to get started <laughs> So it's a, it's a really tough one, Ollie, because I don't. There's not enough professionals out there, I believe, with the skills to do it well. And you know, I'm not going to knock accountants and lawyers. However, a lot of them don't have. They're great at their role, but do they have the skills to have the conversations with the families that need to be had? Because there's often a lot of emotion involved is if that's not something they can manage, I don't believe they should do it. They absolutely have a role in being at the table because they understand the finances, they understand the business structures. And a lot of them, the other, sometimes the other issue is with accountants or lawyers is that they have been working with one generation or another for many years. And whether they like to think it or not, they may have a bias towards that generation. 
So to me, it's actually critical to try and find somebody who is independent to come in that hasn't got association with family members, that has a business understanding. However, their main skill is to be able to facilitate the conversations and manage the emotion that might need to be dealt with within families. So there's, I know there's some organized, a couple of organizations up in Queensland that are specializing in it. There's a group in New South Wales that does it. But then in, in South Australia, there are quite a few people independently that work as facilitators, and we all sort of know who each other are. It could do with something that pulled people together, like-minded people together, and there could be um, more formal training around it, I believe, Ollie because there's a definite gap in the market around in this space. I want to shift slightly to talk about, you mentioned at the beginning, your real interest in leadership development for rural regional Australia. What is it that makes you passionate about rural communities? I love living in rural communities and being part of rural communities. And we need people coming through to step up and be part of the roles and keep a lot of the groups going because, you know, rural communities, thrive on volunteers and so building the capacity of younger people to being prepared to step up and take some of the roles on is really really important a few years ago i ran a lead, emerging leaders program for the york and mid-north um, regional development board and one of those young women who you know has a baby she'd only been in her early 30s is now on council so that's where i go yes isn't that fantastic to see somebody that has been part of a program that i've done you know and i've just been a small part of her journey obviously she was going to go and find leadership training somewhere i just happened to be the fortunate one delivering it at, with her at the time but to see her progress and that journey is just fantastic and a lot of the women that I've worked with over the 10 years in the Stepping Into Leadership program, it's for them, it's about building the confidence because most, not all of them, but a lot of those women have fallen in love with a man, ended up living in a rural community. A lot of them potentially have come from city regions and find themselves on farms. They want to get involved and they want to take on roles, but they need the confidence to do it. So stepping into leadership is about giving them the confidence to step up, get involved in leadership and, and uh, more involved in their community. So it's, I think it's a critical thing to, and to build the network so people know who else is out there, build the mentoring capacity across the regions so people to step up. And you've seen an incredible transition just during your time in the industry professionally. So what is it that's making you optimistic and really excited in terms of the role of women today in agriculture versus what it was like for you in the late 80s? Uh, it's really exciting to see lots of young women getting into the industry and the fact that we're, I think it's, you know, more in some universities, it's more than 50% women going through. And, you know, very gradually, we are seeing more women come home and be part of farming businesses. One of the jobs that Bill may have spoken about that we do is that we facilitate um, peer profit groups with Warakiri cropping. One of the bits of work I've been doing with them is how do they become employer of choice for women? So they are very keen to get women in as assistant managers, farm managers, and maintain the, the women within the system. So looking at you know how we can create better work-life balance, how we can have better parenting leave, uh, maternity leave systems, but I think a lot of young women still find that when they start having children, it's still a tough industry to be part of. 
as a mother of young children, agriculture. So we still often have a gap. So we need to become more family friendly and have better work-life balance for young women who are agronomists or working in the extension world. It's not so bad if they're working for government, but in the private, in, private sector, we still, I think, have quite a long way to go, Ollie. And for women who marry into farming families, some of them embrace them and some of them still don't. So that's probably another you know, area I'd really like to see. And I think if we have more formal structures in businesses, it's about looking at what is the skills that we have and how can we capitalise on these skills rather than, you know, saying, well, the women do the books or the women do the grain marketing. If that's not their area of interest, let's not make them do it. Let's find what is and let's really capitalise on the full skill set we have rather than limiting ourselves. We can't find staff, so let's make use of who's at the table. Definitely. No, I completely agree. I want to chat a little bit about some of the publications and you mentioned earlier you'd been involved in the GRDC or in, in areas with the GRDC. In terms of what has that looked like for you through Southern Australia, your work within the grains industry? Well, at the moment, Ollie, I'm probably not doing a lot of work in the grains industry other than I'm working with the National Grow Group Alliance um, and we're, part of that project has been developing an extension strategy for the grains industry through the Grow Group Alliance and training and doing facilitation, extension and engagement training with their staff. So that's probably, at the moment, um, that's all I'm doing with the grain sector. Grain Graze was probably the last big project I worked on and Bill and I were involved in um, the GRDC Extension Adoption Training and Support Program for six years where we were training senior extension officers in the grains industry or mainly agronomists in the grains industry and building their capacity there. So no, it's mostly as a farmer. <laughs> well, that in itself is very cool, but also to the types of work you do, I think it's nearly like this one to many and that the vast impact that you're probably actually really making, you may never see <laughs> or at least directly be across. Yeah. 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 Which is quite cool. Your, your publications, I, I was fascinated. There's definitely a human theme through that. Is that a, a personal interest or was it really looking at that there's a deficit and a need in industry to get cracking? Oh, no, it's my, I've, I've got an interest in, in the people and communication. In my early 40s, I signed up to do an MBA in agribusiness. And once I got into it, it was the subjects like organisational psychology. Yeah, that really grabbed me and, and leadership and human resource management. So that was the side that when I started doing my masters that I just loved doing and got really interested in. And probably since then that sort of speared me off down that path. Probably just before I started doing my masters, I went off and did a leadership course that was run by Australian Women in Ag over in Canberra for a week. And that also got me really interested in the people and leadership side. More so up until then, I was probably more a bit more Oh, I was involved in marketing and extension and education, I guess, but it probably helped me pull those skills together and think, no, this is where my real, my real focus and real interest is. With your continual learning throughout your professional life, if you had your time again, would you do it the same or would you have changed things up with that interest in psychology and other areas? I think perhaps rather than doing a master's in agribusiness, I might've gone and done psychology. Yeah. <laughs> But I did, I did love having that rural focus, you know, across what I was, what I was studying, maybe 
picked up some more of those psych subjects somewhere along my life path earlier on may have been helpful for me but otherwise no I think I think my lifelong journey of facilitation training coaching training I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it all yeah and you've probably naturally fallen into that learning of psychology anyway just through the types of work you're doing I, I think for me I reckon it'd be a fascinating area but at the same time too I've only really been thinking about it this week but I was like actually I just get to ask people lots of questions and be like, actually, I'm wondering this at the moment. So I'm going to go down that angle a little bit and then I'll pull back and <laughs> which I think you can, you can do in your role too. You, you get your, your field to nearly play with and trial things and go, wow, what works? What doesn't work? What am I going to keep? What would I change? What yeah. would we do differently? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To play in a little area for a while and then learn a bit and then pop out and do something else. Yes. I like that broad brush of, of knowledge, I guess, and experience. Mm. It is fascinating. Now I've got a few questions to the, it's the fast five. We're asking everyone who comes on as part of this. So this is where maybe something I asked you earlier might come in, but it's, it's obviously grains focused. So what is your favorite grain based dish? I'm glad Bill, Bill, Bill warned me on this one. <laughs> Cheating. Cheating, yeah. Um, I think I love a good a good sourdough and a and a homemade peen ham soup, Ollie. <laughs> and who would you have for your peen ham soup? Sorry, three people. Three people you'd invite for your peen ham soup. Three people I would love to have at the table. Obviously, I'd have to have Bill, wouldn't I? I would have. I would love to have Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown's work. Um, on shame and vulnerability. I'm an addict. I've read or listened to all of her books. So I'd really love to have her experience at the table from a leadership perspective and be able to pick her brain. I'd love to have somebody at the table who is an influencer on extension policy. So somebody that really understands agriculture and education and capacity building and not necessarily a politician because they come and go, but somebody who was influential in that world that could change some of the ways we do extension and how we fund extension across Australia. Because as I've said, I think we do it, I think in not all industries, but I think all we, we do it, don't do it as well as we, as we could. So that's two people I'd have at the table. I'm not sure what the third one, Ollie. <laughs> you haven't invited Bill. I'd have Bill. He's <laughs> Bill's such a great conversationalist. He's a lot better at me than keeping conversations going. He's the extrovert. I'm the introvert in the family, believe it or not. <laughs> not at all. You, you do so well. What was your first ever job? Well, other than working on the farm with Dad, my first ever real job was probably as a high school, was a high school teacher. Because I went straight from school to, to Roseworthy Ag College and then to Teachers College. Actually, I had probably had one paid job while I was at Teachers College, which was someone's cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least you were paid for it, I guess. Yes, that's right. So, yes, high school teacher, which I didn't last at for long. What's something on your bucket list? I'm really keen to um, spend a fair bit of time going hiking, camping and hiking. We went up to the McDonald Ranges and did parts of, you know, hiking through through there, climbed Mount Sonder this year, which was great. So I'm keen to get around Australia and do some camping and not caravanning. We've decided more camping. Get out there in the in the um, in the wild and do some camping and hiking. Ollie is on my bucket list. Incredible. And one final one. What's a question that you'd like me to ask a future guest as part of the series? 
What does future success look like for you? I like that. Thank you for being part of the GRDC podcast. Thank you, Ollie. Thanks for joining us for the GRDC In Conversation podcast. This series is a GRDC investment that's sharing the stories of the people who are living and breathing the Aussie grains industry. Make sure you check out some of our other conversations and hit follow on your favourite podcast app to never miss an episode.